Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information about our church and service times, please visit revival.me. Enjoy the message. I'm going to go through and I'm going to show you the parallels between the story of the prodigal son, also known as the story of the compassionate father with two sons, and the story of Jacob from Genesis 27 to chapter 36. Are you all ready? Now check this out. This is amazing. Both stories have a patriarch. These are all the parallels. Both stories have two sons. In both stories, the younger sons decide to take their inheritance with an underhanded means or by an underhanded means. In both stories, the younger son takes off into the far country, both Jacob and the younger son in Luke 15. In both stories, the older son stays at home and they're mad. In both stories, in the far country, there is a reversal of wealth. Jacob goes from poor to rich The prodigal starts off rich and ends up poor. Jesus reversed the same dramatic theme. In both stories, the one in the far country, the ones in the far country decide to come home. On Jacob's way home, Laban says, all that's yours is mine. In the story that Jesus tells, tells, the father says to the older son, all that I have is yours. Just take a moment right here and think about how we do that in prayer. We're trying to obtain things when God's like, no, everything that I have is yours. And so there's a reversal in the language here. Jacob's way home. Laban says to him, all that's yours is mine. He reminds him. And then Jesus, the father says to the older son, all that I have is yours or all that's mine is yours. In both stories, Jacob and the prodigal come back from the far country And there's a divine encounter or a a scene of divine incarnation. How many know Jacob? What does he encounter? An angel that's also referenced as a man and God because it talks about how he wrestled with God. Jacob encounters an angel. The prodigal encounters his father. In both stories, there is body contact. There's physical contact with this divine scene of encounter with Jacob it's a wrestling match with the prodigal. It's an embrace. Can you imagine if we started our prayers instead of wrestling with God with an embrace from the Father? In both stories, a member of the family goes out of town to deal with them coming home. In one case, it's the older brother. In the other, it's the father. These are phenomenal parallels just running through here. In both cases, the welcomer of the two sons used this phrase. He ran fell upon his neck and kissed him. That phrase is only mentioned two times in the Bible, once in Luke 15 and in Genesis in the story of Jacob. It sounds to me like Jesus is retelling a story with a new paradigm. In both stories, there is the best robe of one member of the family put on another member of the family. Nowhere else in Scripture do you see this parallel except in the story of Jacob and the prodigal. With Jacob, it's stolen for deception. In the other, it's given for reconciliation. There are over 50 parallels to the story of Jacob and this parable in Luke 15. 
Jesus is retelling the story in a new paradigm. And he chooses one of the most foundational stories that gave the Jewish people, God's covenant community, their very identity and their very name. Jacob means Israel. The prodigal son story is, in fact, a story that reveals the father's love, but it is also paralleled to the story that we see in the Old Testament. Now, I have three things I wanted to talk about, about different areas of striving, and I'm going to talk about one today, and it's old covenant striving. So number one, and this will be my only point, come on somebody, I, I told the first service, I'm like, I have three points, praise God, and I'm doing my introduction and everything, and I'm like, I'm going to go through these really quick, and then I caught myself, I'm like, you know what, anytime a preacher says that, he is lying, or she's lying, come on somebody, so I'm only going to get through one of these, but I want to talk about the, the, the concept of how sometimes we, as new covenant Christians, we live with old covenant mindsets. Now, I want to say this too. I think that the word covenant is one word of many to describe the beauty, the, 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 the amazing redemption that the Trinity has accomplished for us through Christ. It's so much more than just covenantal understanding of rules, regulations, and God's dealing with humanity. It is all about the person of Christ, the God-man becoming flesh, joining his divinity to our humanity. We partake of his flesh when we come to the table of the Lord because he partook of our flesh. And the word covenant is one flashlight that points to the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is so much bigger than covenant theology. I'm glad I'm getting like four amens right here in the anointed section. I'm going to say it again because I know a lot of us have had, we've had better covenant theology. We have Harold Everly. We've heard great covenant teachings, but I just want us to get out of the box of even the way we think about covenant. Covenant describes the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the gospel is so much bigger than we could ever comprehend. See, what if, if I feel like you guys aren't responding, I try to, like, you know, get it out a little more energy. And then some of you are like, yeah, yeah, come on, pastor, yeah, praise God. Yeah. There is a, a striving that, that I see in New Covenant Christians that happens all the time with Old Covenant mindsets, the way we pray. You know, there's a story of a guy flying over the Himalayan mountains, and the pilot announces how many love when you're on an airplane. Who loves to fly? Anybody love to fly? Anybody in this place love to fly? Come on, come on, come on. Soul right there in the back row, love to fly. Come on, somebody. You're flying, and you start dozing off, right? And then all of a sudden you hear, ladies and gentlemen, if you look out your, uh, the right side of your window. Why is it that every pilot is from Texas, though? And they sound just like that. And I don't know if, if you've ever had this happen, but there's times where the, the audio, the pilot's audio is way too loud. So it startles you. You're like, ah, so this guy was flying over the Himalayan mountains, and the pilot says, if you look out right now, you'll see what is the highest peak in the world, which is, as we know, is Mount Everest. And this guy's looking out, and he begins to think, like, man, I'm up here in this airplane looking at this mountain that is the highest peak in the world. And he begins to think of how treacherous Mount Everest is. 
the, the people that have spent years striving, preparing to climb and ascend this mountain to get to the top. And he's looking at it from a place of comfort and ease. Friend, today, let me tell you, that's what the new covenant's like. The new covenant, we have been ascended and brought up in Jesus, and we have a new perspective. We don't have to climb a mountain in our Christian faith. Jesus has brought us up in himself, and now we are seated. And, and this is what Jesus is saying with this story, the prodigal son. It's, it's a reference to Jacob. It's a reference to Israel. If it's, it's a reference to the very name in which God's covenant people are called and their identity, but with a whole new paradigm. Amen. And in the same way, we need to have a new perspective. And one of the things I, I see in this old covenant picture here is in Jacob wrestled with God for a blessing. How many know that there's times in prayer? I don't know if you've ever heard this, and I do believe, let me just say, first of all, I'm sure I've preached a message about Jacob wrestling with God in prayer, and I've attributed it to how I need to, I need to pray, and sometimes you just wrestle with God. I'm not letting go until I get the blessing. Who, have, have you ever heard a message like that? I don't know if I've preached one. Sometimes I look back, and I'm like, why did I preach these messages? There's some messages I just want to delete from the internet. How many know that we're growing in our faith? There's some things we have to unlearn. How many know repentance, changing the way we think, is an ongoing process? And so when I think about Jacob wrestling with God for a blessing, I think about the mentality that we, that I, that, that many Christians have where we think that we've got to wrestle with God for him to give us something. How many know that's not what it's like in the new covenant? As a matter of fact, in the old covenant, Jacob wrestled with God, but Jesus tells the story and the contact the prodigal has in this receiving of the son coming home from the far country is an embrace from the Father. What if our prayers, instead of started out, you know, obnoxious, we started out with a heart opening up to be embraced by our Papa. An awareness that God is closer than the air that we breathe. An awareness that He is closer than we can comprehend. And we start our prayers with, oh, Father, thank you for your embrace. We don't have to strive in prayer. We don't have to strive for revival. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. How many know Second Chronicles 7.14 was for people in their time? Now, there's things that we can learn from that. There is a principle of repentance. Even, you know, William Seymour, the, the great man of God that was one of the catalysts of the Zusa Street revival, he said the measure of the spirit of repentance is, is measured, or the measure of revival is measured by the spirit of repentance. But I want to just tell you, repentance is not something you have to strive to do. It's turning towards the radical love of the Father. How many know that the Father pursues us even when we run and do very dumb things? Come on, somebody. But all you have to do, you don't have to earn your way back to the Father. You just turn towards His love. And that eliminates this striving that we do, this striving mentality. Well, if everything is just right, then we'll have revival, you know? Like if the city church would come together in unity, then we'll have revival. I believe that it will impact the region when there's unity. But it, all it takes is one person yielded to the hand of God that can change, come on, their environment, their community, their city. And we need to stop thinking with this old covenant mindset. 
If God would just rip the heavens or open the heavens and rip them and, and come down, then we'll see revival. Well, Isaiah prayed that prayer, and that prayer was answered when Jesus was baptized. It says, while he prayed, the heavens were opened. If we think that we're living under a closed heaven, that's what we're going to experience. We feel this separation from God. Well, I'm separated. And the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 that we were separated from God in our minds because of our evil behavior. God's right there, just waiting. Well, what about when I was back? What about when I was unsaved? He was right there, just waiting for you. All you got to do is turn to the Father's love. Let it eliminate this idea of striving that we don't, we don't have to have this perfect recipe for God to move. That's old covenant thinking. Everything's got to be just right. We've got to have the Ark of the Covenant and the Bread of Presence. We've got to have the musicians, and we've got to have, well, we have to have a shofar. Come on, somebody. We need a shofar. Where's the shofar? We over-spiritualize everything, and then it becomes about the shofar. Well, pastor, I've seen it work. I saw this guy play a shofar, and people were getting slain in the spirit. God can use a shofar. He can use a whisper. God can use a nine-year-old little girl or a little boy yielded to the power of God or Benny Hinn. Come on, somebody. Going, and then people falling out, a whole, a whole group of people just falling out. How many know God? It's not about formula. It's about faith. And we over-formulize, over-spiritualize things. It's like God, God's just like, would you just stop it? Would you just have faith? Just trust in me and believe that I did what I said I did and walk in power. And live the ascended life where we're not trying to climb Mount Everest, the Mount Everest of revival, the Mount Everest of, of God doing what he wants to do, the Mount Everest of when I get to the top, then he'll bless me. I got to wrestle with God. I got to grab the horns of the altar and I'm not letting go until the fire comes down. Come on, somebody. Man, I got to tarry. I gotta, if I tarry on the altar long enough, then God will show up. Take me past the outer courts and to the holy place, Lord. The holy of holies lives inside of you. Well, I don't feel his presence. That doesn't mean he's not there. And when you stop thinking about that, oh, I don't feel his presence. Right, do I feel his presence right now? Is God here? Maybe he's mad at me. Oh, God, I'm not going to feel his presence. Stop thinking that way. You will experience him every moment of the day. When you wake up, you're just like, oh, good morning, Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. Woo, you're with me. You're for me. And you'll never leave me nor forsake me. You live inside me. My body is a temple. My, my sarks, the flesh, the cells of your meat sack is a temple of the Holy Spirit blows my mind. How could that be possible? My liver, come on, my kidneys, my fat cells. The Bible says my body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And it does say the fatness destroys the yoke. Oh, come on, somebody. So Lord, fill all things. Jacob wrestled with God for a blessing. The prodigal son received an embrace from the father. I want my prayers to start with an embrace from Papa. Papa. And you have to like work your way into the presence of God. He's here. He's here. Lord, let the wind of the Spirit blow. But we don't have to ask God to come fill a place that he already is. Lord, manifest your presence. Holy Spirit, you're welcome to do whatever you want to do. And, and however this works... The, the ancient rabbis would say that it was like the, the Shekinah glory. God concentrated his presence in one place. 
It's a divine precipitation. There's, there's water in the air right now and you can't see. And sometimes there's a divine condensation and a divine precipitation happens in worship. But it happens when we are just aware of who he is to us and he's full of love for us and we don't have to earn his love. We don't have to strive. We don't have to believe in some formula. We just have to have rest and trust that he's good. Come on. Sometimes we're more concerned about what God wants to do through us instead of who he is to us. If you want to eliminate striving in your life, don't think about, God, just use me, Lord. You. Sometimes it's an orphan prayer. God, I know you want to do things through me, but I'm so satisfied with who you are to me. I just want to be in your presence. I just want to sit at your feet. I don't have to strive because there's no striving in love. In the story of Jacob, talk about old covenant striving, he worked for love seven years for Rachel, right? He wanted a little Ray Ray. He said, she is beautiful in face and in form. Come on, somebody. That's what, he, that's what the Bible said. That's what I said when I saw Rochelle. Mm-mm. Come on, somebody. And he's like, seven years. How many of you know Laban did a little switcheroonie on him? His wedding night. He's like, all right. I worked seven years. And the Bible says that he felt like it went by like that. Because <laughs> he was so eager to have guilt-free sex. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so he, he's like, it, it, this is what the scripture says. I'm just reading the Bible, guys. He's like, I want to make love to this girl now, okay? I'm, I'm ready to be one with her. And Laban did a switcheroonie, and it's Leah. Jacob's like, I worked seven years. The, the number seven is the number of completion. Old covenant striving. We do all these things, and then we're still not satisfied, and we're still not there yet. And then, of course, Laban's like, well, okay, in a couple weeks, I'll give you both. You can have both daughters, but you got to work another seven years. Fourteen years he worked for love. Can I just encourage you right now, hear me. You don't have to work for his love. It doesn't mean we don't live from a place of being productive and living holy and, and set apart. It's just the opposite. As a matter of fact, if we're still striving, then we're only trying to give him some things instead of give him everything. See, when we see striving, we're not just giving him some things. We give him everything. We lay it all down. We lay ourselves down on the altar. But we don't live from a place of performance and striving and oh... To cease from striving doesn't mean we lack passion or activity. It means our passion and activity springs from a sweet intimacy that God initiated. God is the, the, the chief initiator in this relationship. That's really important for us to remember. All we have to do is turn to his love. Well, I got to work on my relationship with God. Stop that. It won't work. You're not good. You don't do a good job with that. We don't do good when, we, when we're the initiator. How many know? It doesn't mean we don't seek him. No, we open our heart, we turn to him, but we love him because he first loved us. His relationship with us is perfect. If we yield to that union, we experience communion that is unheard of. 
where we are caught up. This is why I don't fast anymore. I feast because when I fasted, it was old covenant striving and I was trying to see a move of God. I was, well, doesn't the Bible say, Pastor, doesn't it say that only some come, come out by prayer and fasting? The phrase in fasting is not in most original manuscripts. You know why? It was added by a works mindset, by a mindset of early Christians that wanted some old covenant striving in the book. Jesus, what he was saying is, oh, the reason you can't cast it out is because I pray you don't. I'm yielded to my Father's authority. You're not. If you yield to the Father's authority, you walk in, a, in power. You don't strive for it. I used to, oh, I got to fast and pray. No, I stopped doing that. I started feasting. I said, God, why? I'm just, I'm not fasting anymore, and you're moving way more than when I fasted. He's like, because you were doing it from a religious mindset. Then you would give yourself the credit instead of me. Well, God moved because I'm fasting. Silly. Now I fast inadvertently because I'm so caught up in his presence. And I'm worshiping and I'm like, I haven't ate in seven hours. Usually I get hypoglycemic and I'm shaking. I'm like, someone get me a sandwich. I need some turkey. Come on, somebody. I'm so caught up. Come on. I'm so caught up in the presence of God. (laughs) I'm laughing at myself right now. I'm so caught up in the presence. I don't eat. Man, we got to get free from old covenant striving. Can you say amen? Jacob worked for love. Jacob worked for love. And we don't need to work for love. You know, my, my son, uh, my oldest son, um, when we were in Las Vegas, we had these really cool bikes somebody blessed us with. And they were electric bikes. And where we lived, there was lots of hills. And, uh, and man, we would have so much fun. We'd go, sometimes we'd go out together as a family. And, uh, but we had these bikes, great memories with these bikes. They didn't fit on the pod, so we had to give them away. And we cried when we gave them away. And, uh, but so my son and I would go out. And one time I remember something was wrong with his. One of the settings was wrong. So he's like, Dad, can I ride your bike? I'm like, why? You have your own. Just ride yours. And And he's like, okay. I'm like, don't ride my bike. It's my bike. Ride your own. You have the exact same bike. Ride your bike. Well, what did David do? Praise God. He rode my bike. And sure enough, he fell, got hurt, wrecked my bike, broke it, and it was jacked up. He brought it home, and I was so mad at him. Parents, are you thankful for the mercies of God when you snap at your kids? You want to grab them by the throat, by the throat, like up. I was so mad at him. I lectured him. I was like, David, I told you. Can I just tell you as an imperfect father, even in the moment where I felt like David disobeyed me, David didn't do what I said, right? He disobeyed me. He went out and he took what was mine and broke it. Haven't we all done that with God, right? Aren't we all pictured the prodigal? Even in that moment when I was so irritated at him, I was trying to contain it. I'm like, I want to hit you, but I'm not because I don't want to go to jail. And you're my son. I love you. At that same moment, I love my son more than anything. I would have laid my life down for him in a moment, even in the midst of that. If me as an imperfect father feels that way, how much more does does the father feel towards us? We don't have to earn or strive for his love. There's something beautiful about understanding the Lord is pleased with you right now. Can I just encourage you that you don't 
have to live a life of maybe someday you'll please the Lord. Yes, hear me. It is our aim to please God always. Amen? Amen. But if you don't know you're already pleasing to him as a son or a daughter, you won't be able to please him because you're living outside your true identity. And God doesn't like that. He's like, what are you doing, man? But God, please, would you? God's like, I, I love you. Before Jesus did any miracle, before, I can, I can feel religious mindsets just crumbling right now. Before Jesus did any miracle, before he did anything that you would say, well, man, his ministry was pleasing to the Lord, he came out of the waters of baptism and the voice of the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Can you imagine if our ministries were catapulted from knowing we're already pleasing the Father instead of striving to please God in a religious way. We want to please God in a holy relational way, right? But not a religious way. Not trying to earn His love because there's no striving in His love. I want to close with this verse in Matthew chapter 11. I have two other points, but I won't preach them right now. I hope you guys are enjoying this. I really feel like it's so important as believers, we learn that we don't have to strive in our walk with the Lord. And again, that doesn't mean we're not zealous. It doesn't mean we don't shout. It doesn't mean that we're not. But we don't do it from a place where we're hoping to get God to move or do things that he's already done or wants to do more than we're asking him to do. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 is talking to those that have been infected by religion as we all have. Religion meaning religiosity, the works mindset, the things that we try to do to have relationship with God. See, in the Old Testament, we sought the face of God. In the New Testament, Jesus has brought us to the face of God. So when we sing, show me your face, we're actually saying, Lord, since I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, reveal to me the glory and the revelation of your love looking into the face of the Father. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says this, are you tired, worn out, or burned out on religion? This is the words of Jesus. Would you close your eyes with me? And I, I pray that you'd have hearing ears. And I pray that any religious striving, old covenant thinking would be broken off of you right now. And it will revolutionize your relationship with the Lord. Are you tired? Are you worn out or burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. I love this line here. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? How do I do that? You just lean in and you put your ear on the Father's heartbeat and you hear every heartbeat is saying that He loves you and saying that He is pleased with who you are as a son and a daughter. It transforms us. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So good. We were in Arizona uh, at 
this beautiful place called Sedona, Arizona. Beautiful red rocks and such a nice place. And it's one of our little like family spots. And my wife and I and our kids were there and we did a little family devotional. And we went down to this area where there's a stream, there's grass, trees, it was just gorgeous. And we pull out a scripture and it was this scripture in Matthew 11. And we said, all right, kids, read this verse. Take a little time and just pray. Think about God's love and whatever God speaks to you, we're going to go around and we're going to share it. And usually when we do this and we're intentional, it turns into a very beautiful time where, you know, we, we force our kids to prophesy over each other. We don't force them, but we're like, go ahead, give, give your sibling a word, you know, and, and then everyone's crying. And usually David is like, well, I don't really have a word, um, but uh, thus says the Lord God. And then everyone's flat on their face crying. I mean, I don't know why you do it. Like just prophesy. You know, he's like, well, it's not really a word, but I just kind of feel like, and then bam, it just comes out like a fire hose. So David says, I was reading that verse and, you know, you guys have been encouraged me to encounter the Lord and encounter God in worship and stuff. And I just realized God says to encounter me is not a burden. To experience my presence is not a burden. You think about all the pastor's kids that have been, oh, you need to pray, you need to... It's not a burden. Just come to him and experience the unforced rhythms of grace. So good. Isn't that good? Can we stand up together? Let me pray and and dismiss you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you that you are breaking mindsets, strongholds in our mind of religiosity. We don't want them, Lord. They hold us back from experiencing communion. They hold us back from transformation. They hold us back. Legalism pushes us into uh, more bondage. We don't want that. We want grace. We want to be empowered and free from sin, free from ways of thinking that bind us and restrict us from living a transformed, empowered Christian life as sons and daughters. So I pray that you would break every chain. Would you reveal, lift your hands with me and just ask God right now, thank him for the word and just say, Lord, would you speak to me any area where I've had some of these religious strongholds or maybe these old covenant ways of thinking that just need to be broken. And Lord, I lay them down at your feet. Give me a revelation that I'm face to face with the Father and I want to live from that place. I want to start my prayer with, Abba. I don't want to start my prayer with, I'm going to wrestle with God and maybe he'll bless me. No, I'm going to start my prayer with, I posture my heart and I turn towards the lover of all lovers that pursues me even when I run. I just got to turn back to him. I just got to turn my heart to him. It's not hard. Lord, we yield. Teach us to yield. Teach us to be sensitive and teach us to pray and live the Christian life without striving. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, Pastor Zach here at Encounter Church in Rochester, New York. Hope you were blessed by that message. And we want to give you an opportunity to sow into the ministry if you'd like to. If you would, just go to revival.me and click on the button that says give. Thanks again and have a blessed, blessed day.